kids podcast, fostering community, raising awareness, supporting families after, um, I mean, I would say it's our longest hiatus ever, Mariana, but it's also our only hiatus ever. Uh, I am Kyle Belanger alongside the inimitable Mariana Latovich. Um, I am recording for our, from our fancy new Berkshire County studio today. That's right. That's right. Which is to say I'm in my parents' basement. (laughs) Mariana, I have missed you. I have missed our community. Um, I have missed our conversations so much. And that is exactly where we're going to start today because these last four and a half months, and I know we're a family-friendly podcast, so I can't use the four-letter words that I want to use to describe the last four and a half months. But goodness gracious, um, it has been lonelier than usual on the parents. Yeah, end, hasn't it? no, I was going to say you, you haven't just missed me in our community. You've missed like the cashiers at the grocery store and, you know, the, the people you walk by when you go for hikes and all of the, all of the people who are just not out and about. I desperately miss the folks that I used to see picking up the kids after school I mean, just all of all of these little social contacts that I really didn't even think twice about before now is, you know, really, I, I'm, it's really weighing on me how long it's been and how much I miss it. And I have no idea when it's going to happen again. I agree. I was in line at Trader Joe's and Hadley, um, which it, for my money has been the most secure experience out in the world. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Especially in grocery stores or yes. stores of any kind. Completely. And you know what? I, this was, we're recording this on a Sunday. This would have been Friday. And I actually had a thought I never thought I'd thunk. I thunk mm. this. I miss grocery shopping with my kids. Oh, no. I do. I, do I miss looking for I'm Michelle. Not, no. No? No, 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 no. If anything, I'm grateful that I have the excuse that they cannot come with me to the grocery store. <laughs> Yeah. Although occasionally my seven-year-old Luca does still come with me to CVS to like pick up a prescription or something. And he just loves CVS so much. It is his happy place. It is my happy place. I get it. I really love CVS. I, I don't get paid to say that, but it's just quite, he says, it's so quiet. It's so nice to just look <laughs> at the things. Nobody bugs you. They have this, they have this aisle of toys, you know, so sometimes when I want to spend some time with him, I'll say, hey, I have to go to CVS. Do you want to come to CVS with me? Inevitably, he will say yes. Absolutely. Hands down every time. I actually yesterday pulled him away from a movie. He preferred to go to CVS with me than to stay and watch whatever movie he and his brothers were watching. So yes. Uh, But other than that, I have not taken any of them anywhere. Uh, and I'm okay with that. No, I do not miss children at the grocery store. I do not. I love playing the I, I long can't, game. I can't get on that bandwagon, Kyle. Playing the long game and imagining all of the important parenting conversations that you are going to have to bring Luca to. To, to, to CVS. CVS. To yeah. do in the CVS aisle. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so quiet and he feels safe. <laughs> it's his safe place. Yeah. yeah. away from his other three siblings you know he can have one-on-one attention you don't go with me anywhere else he doesn't even like to go to the you know the playground back back in the before times as I like to call them when we used to go to the playground he'd much rather go to CBS wow in the before you know what's funny is I think that your seven and my eight are similar in this regard maybe all of our kids are um that now that 
um, now that things are less scary and not not scary, but right. less scary and we're somewhat less, relatively yeah. less, yes. slightly less. And we're very fortunate to be recording this and living in a state that seems to be trending correctly. Yeah, I, I want for to now. Say, for now, for now, and I want to say yep. that understanding that it's a privilege to be able to say that. Um, because I know some of our listeners probably farther afield, different states, um, are not in that situation. But I'm yep. recognizing now the, and I'm no, I am not a clinical psychologist. I don't have any medical, you know, psychological background. The PTSD that our children are going to experience when it's, and I'm using gigantic air quotes here, okayer to be mm -hmm. around people. I'm seeing it with my eight right now. I mean, you and I were at a, a vigil for um, racial justice and equality yesterday. And the reason why we stand where we stand is because he does not like to be around large groups of people. It makes him, and he was never like this. He's a very social boy. And yeah. um, so we have to stand on the fringe when we go to, the, our, uh, to our vigils in town. And um, I'm recognizing that I think this is going to be, this will be something that we are reckoning with and that generation is going to grapple with for, for you know, probably their, their adolescence and certainly into their early adulthood. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's true. And, and, and not only kids, you know, I, I feel it too. So I have a kiddo who is very, very highly anxious and he never really wanted to do anything before, but now especially everything we're going to do, he asks a thousand questions about safety. Yeah. Um, aren't, are there other people going to be there and how far away are they going to be? And, you know, usually when we get there, he's okay. Um, particularly because we don't really do much of anything with other people. Yesterday's vigil was, I think, the first time that we have been anywhere in public um, as a family since this all began. So it, it isn't a regular occurrence, but say we're going to, you know, for a hike, he wants to know who else is going to be there. How far away are they going to be? Are they going to be wearing masks? But what about coronavirus? You know, he has all of these concerns about safety. And I think that's true for a lot of our kids. And, um, but also for me, you know, I, I I've had to take, um, the, the baby needs to get blood work done. And I have no interest in taking her into a hospital setting to get this blood work done because right now that's all the blood labs that are available. And I find myself, you know, my anxiety is already high to begin with, but I find myself sort of inching closer to agoraphobia. Like I don't want to leave the house because this is my safe space and I know it's safe here. I don't know that it's safe outside. And, and again, that's against the backdrop of we we're very fortunate to live where we live. Not only do we live in Massachusetts, but we live in a very relatively um, low population area, low population density area of Massachusetts. So, you know, we're not in a big city. And even still, I find myself being like, do I, do I have to leave? I'd rather not. Um, and I'm sure that that trickles down. I'm sure that trickles down to the kids. And I don't know, I don't know about your kids, but mine have not been itching to go out. They've not been itching to get back to our normal lives. And I, you know, it's on the one hand, I'm, I appreciate it. But on the other hand, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, this, they've just resigned themselves to this is life. This is our life right now. And it, it's just so, it's so sad to me. I agree. I agree. I, I, I grapple with whether or not to applaud the resilience and praise the resilience, but also um, the, the flip side of that is the desire to make sure that they know, or maybe I'm comforting myself, that, um, that this isn't forever. This is, this is a hard adjust. This is a hard adjustment now. But I keep saying 
and maybe this isn't the space for this explanation, but I, I keep thinking about, you know, the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of September 11th and how there was an acute moment there. But in that acute moment, in those, in the weeks after September 11th, we thought things like, will we ever laugh again? Well, like these were things that like people actually vocalized, right? Will we ever travel commercially on airlines again? Like things like this yeah. that we thought, but there was an acute moment there. And yes, clearly we travel on airlines again. Clearly we laugh. Um, the issue with this and the way that we're dealing with it, I think, and again, I'm, you know, I just read a lot of books. I'm not really, I'm not really well versed in this. I don't have the language, but is that there, not only is there an acute, no acute moment, but it seems like this is the, the slowest motion train crash that's ever mm. With, with more carnage than we could have ever imagined. And so- Yeah, so, oh, that's awful. And so I'm just- That's hoping, a really awful visual. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, so, I no, mean, thank you. It's awful. <laughs> you're, you're welcome and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but so that's like, that's where I, I'm, I'm struggling as a parent to figure yeah. out how much of that to, to thank, like to actually, th I know you and I parent very similarly, to actually vocalize and, and, and thank the kids for being so resilient, but also- like wanting to reassure them that, you know, eventually we're going to play baseball with your friends again. It isn't right. this year. And I hope it's next year, but eventually we're going to. And, yeah. you yeah. know, and I don't know. It's, it's been a very, I've never had fewer answers. And I know we're all that way. I've never had fewer answers than I do now. No, it's true. And I, you know, as much as you can reassure kids that it's going to get better, they live right now, you yeah. know, and a week ago was a lifetime ago. And so for them, I'm sure that they're having a hard time remembering the before times, you know, because they live in the now and the now is what they know. And we can't tell them when is this going to get better? We can't tell them when are you going to be able to see your friends again? I mean, at this point, we can't even tell them that they're going to get to go back to school in the right. fall. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it, it actually reminds me to, um, to bring up something that's a little more relevant to our audience. Um, you know, we had a foster baby a few years ago who was only supposed to stay a very short while. And I kept saying to the kids, you know, he's, he's going to go, he's going to go to his family. He's going to, but he kept staying, right? Because we know that when somebody has a short term air quotes placement, that can be anywhere from a night to, you know, 700 nights. No, nobody knows exactly how long that is. And so ultimately he stayed with us for eight months. But I remember um, it was a few, a few, about halfway into our placement with him um, or his pl placement with us, I, I reminded the kids yet again, you know, this isn't like, this is going to end. This isn't always going to be like this. And one of my kids, I don't remember who it was, but he was really little. He said, but we keep keeping him we keep keeping him, you know, like you keep saying that this is going to change, but he hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel now. Like I keep telling them it's going to get better. I keep telling them it's not always going to be this way. And yet yeah. I still feel like I'm in a perpetual movie of Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that verb tense usage too. Um, I should, as you know, as a writer, I should know what that's called, but I keep, yeah. to keep keeping, right? You, keep keeping, as, yeah. That's what we're doing. We're stay staying in. We're staying, <laughs> staying. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, so I wonder how, if we could transition, transition this a little bit to the work um, that we do with AOK, because I know that early on um, from all of my friends who are in the process right now, um, the transition was really hard, not only, and, and for my friends who work as um, 
as, as, as counselors in public schools. Um, mm -hmm. We knew that there was, that we knew that the department was unable to do home visits. We knew that the, um, that there were kids who were very likely in crisis who were unable to um, receive services that they need. Um, yeah. And so I'm wondering, I don't know, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I'm wondering wh where we are in that process right now, because okay. early on, you and I even texted about this. I remember one night specifically late at night when I was like just seized with sort of the anxiety of knowing that, well, our families are safe. Our fa we are very lucky. Our families yeah. have, have food. We have shelter. We're safe. We have love, um, stability. Um, but I'm wondering where, if, if that part of the crisis um, for the families and children in need has that begun to subside a little bit, the acute part of the early stages of the crisis, as, as far as you can tell? Yeah, so I, what's terrifying, and I've been on calls with, you know, state leadership in, with DCF and with MAF, the Massachusetts Alliance for Families, which is a statewide advocacy organization with our sort of local regional leadership within DCF. And I think to say that, calls coming in regarding child welfare concerns have plummeted and have really not picked up in any in any sense um, and while on the face of it you know I, I somebody told me that the, the federal government and our current unfortunate president had put out some executive statement about how great we're doing in child welfare because the number of child welfare concerns are you know have plummeted um, the reality is that these kids are now suffering in silence yep. and in the shadows yep. um, and so the fact that we have no idea what is going on behind anybody's doors um, is incredibly incredibly concerning and I do know um, I was on a call with a a regional director, a DCF regional director recently who said that, I forget what she called them, um, but so, there's some kind of uh, data point in the state where um, some kind of incident, maybe cr critical incidents, I think that's what she called it, that critical incidents were much higher now than they have been in a long time. And I said, well, what do you mean by critical incident? And I was sort of horrified that, you know, these are things like a child coming into the emergency room for, um, you know, injuries, um, uh, domestic violence calls, you know, these kinds of um, calls that that reach the, the the eyes of child welfare when things are really, really, really escalated, you know, when yeah. they've when they've gotten to a critical point, whereas um, when kids sort of come onto the radar when when it's a school counselor or when it's a therapist or you know when it's any a coach or anybody in the community um it's not always so dire the situation is not always so dire and right now what we're seeing is very very few significantly fewer of those calls than than we ever have and in part in large part it's because everybody is staying home and we're preventing infection from this lethal virus, but now we have kids who are in potentially lethal situations in their homes and families, and it is really, really concerning. Um, and I know what DCF has, has said to a number of, of um, families out there or, or to the public is, you know, look after your neighbor. Let us know if you have concerns. Um, 
report anything, whether it, no matter how benign, you know, and I think that there is some balance there, right? Because I certainly have concerns about some families that I know who are struggling, um, but I I just don't know when those concerns rise to a level of I need to I need to make a phone call. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, but no, it's it's incredibly incredibly troubling, very concerning, and I have no idea when it's going to abate or how, because even if, you know, by some miracle, we are all going to come back together in the fall, then we're going to have this explosion of child welfare concerns that the system is going to be so overwhelmed by, I'm not sure how we're going to respond then either. So it's not good. It's not a good situation. It's very, very, very scary. And the other issue that we have is, um, you know, kids are still needing placement. Kids are still needing to be placed into foster families. And a lot of families don't feel comfortable taking a child in right now, understandably. Um, and so as hard as placements were before, they're even harder now. Yeah. And that's also really concerning. Um, so there's no, there's no good solutions. There's no good solutions for anybody. No, and you're right. And when we have, you, which you bring up about, you know, all the mandated reporters who just aren't even seeing, you know, their normal amount of kids. And, you know, you and I, just from being friends and working together across the, you know, in town, um, I think about the number of kids who I, who we all would have seen in sports. You bring up coaches, right? This is another one of those right. levels of safety nets that, um, that we just, it's not just the schools. It's heck, it's no. not even the pediatricians at this point because, you know, we were talking, I forget if it was off mic or on mic, but I'm not, I'm not super psyched about, about bringing, you know, my, both of my kids have, they need, they need to get their teeth cleaned. I'm yep. not calling. I'm not calling right now. Um, That's right. And uh, so it's, um, it's, it's become, um, it's become really a difficult balance uh to try to figure out um to try to figure out like you said the data point what the data points are and what they actually indicate and 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 it is scary and i, I do want to just recognize that for other folks that when you hear the the department saying things like you know don't be afraid to call if you have concerns about your neighbors i want to recognize that that's super scary because we we don't want to send a family that might have uh, you know, there's no way to put a numerical thing on this, but a crisis at the level three, we don't mm -hmm. want to, we don't want to quickly escalate. We don't want to put them on, you know, big air quotes again, on the radar and then have right. the three get to a nine. And then we feel like, what have we done? Right. How, what have I done? Right. Because as, as, as much as I believe in the importance of our child welfare system and as much as I believe that's also a, a an incredible hardship on families yeah. for to have them come into their lives, right? So especially families who maybe don't need that level of scrutiny or you know whose children don't need that level of attention right now. I I do understand that making that call is going to have a really undue burden on that family, and yeah. so. As much as I hear from DCF social workers, make the call, there's somebody else who is going to decide whether or not that yeah. that rises to the level that it needs to for um, for some response. I don't I don't necessarily trust that, you know, because I also have seen families who have been 
sort of ripped apart and torn apart unnecessarily. And yeah. that is really concerning to me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, just, you know, in, in my, in my uh, other role um, on our uh, local school committee, um, you know, I was really heartened the way that late in the year, um, the roles, uh, people were really trying as best they can to pick up the slack in the frame, within the framework that we sort of cobbled together as, as a town. And so by which I mean, for students for whom there was no engagement, right? For people who weren't logging on and doing it, they, we were doing welfare checks, um, you know, just oh, like wow. actually going to those students' houses. You know, first they would try to call. And then it was, uh, I think quite often the, um, the, the, the SRO, the um, student resource officer would be going uh, sometimes with a, a staff member from the school, oftentimes with a staff member of the school, just to, just to get a visual, just to lay eyes on. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Speaking of laying eyes, um, I do, um, I do want to wrap after we talk, I want one more, I'd love to hit one more topic here. um, This episode of the AOK podcast. Um, Parent child visits um, are Mm -hmm. something that, you know, with during in the before time and during, during uh, normal times, these are often, these can be fraught situations anyways. Right. Um, how have you seen, what have you heard about the way that parent-child visits have been affected since March 13th when the world yeah. came to a screeching halt? So I would say that this is really the biggest source of stress and conflict for current foster parents with placements, particularly, obviously, those who are still having these visits with their birth families. I currently have a foster child who is not having visits with her birth family and hasn't. And so this hasn't touched me personally, but we have lots of families who are reaching out to us and who um, are, are really conflicted and confused um, because right now DCF has not been doing any in-person visits. Um, they're, they're actually moving the terminology to parenting time. So rather than parent-child oh. visits, it's not called okay. parenting time. Okay. Um, and so parenting time is only happening remotely. And because these children are in the homes of these families, it's up to these foster families to um, facilitate the visits, to supervise the visits, to um, figure out, you know, when and how these visits are going to happen. And in some cases, that's great. And in some cases, that works really, really well. And in a lot of other cases, that is more than a foster parent is really capable of doing for a number of reasons. Um, And there's lots of concerns about privacy issues. And, you know, I don't necessarily want any um, face-to-face contact with my child's birth parent. Then there are, uh, there's the fact that social workers are not a part of these interactions typically. And so what, what do you do if a, if, if something that is happening remotely between a parent and their child is not going well, do you have the authority to say, you know what, we're going to end this um, how do you facilitate a visit with a, an infant who, you know, maybe just a few months old and this parent wants, wants to have this time with them? It's really, really a mess. And I have to say that I've been incredibly disappointed with DCF's lack of guidance about this. Um, there just hasn't been any. There hasn't been any talk about what is a foster parent's responsibility here? What is the, what is the social worker's role? Does the social worker have to be involved or not? Um, and I think this has been a real lapse in leadership on the part of DCF at all levels. And so everybody's left floundering. 
um, and very, very understandably, birth parents have now gotten together and sued the state because they have been kept from their children. And um, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge them that. I, I, I really understand. Um, if I were to put myself in their shoes, I would be livid, particularly for situations where reunification was imminent. All of that has been put on hold, you know, and I wouldn't want to be away from my child for a minute longer than I had to be. And now you're telling me you have no idea when I'm even going to see my child in person again, let alone be reunified. And so it has been, um, it has been extremely challenging for our community um, and for those those parents, foster parents who are who are having to do this. And keep in mind too that a lot of these foster parents don't just have the one child. Right. <laughs> you know, they have multiple children, perhaps with multiple birth families and their own um, adopted or biological children, and they're already balancing so much and often precariously in their homes that you know this is this is one more thing that they really don't know how to do, and we're making it up as we go along with with no guidance. And I feel like that's the story of our lives right now. Yes, 100%. You know, that's, and I was, as you were talking and, and, and sharing those really heart-wrenching um, observations uh, on, on all ends of the spectrum, right? From birth families to foster families to the children. Um, it, it made me really want to find a way to be able to point my finger at Washington. And yet I, because, because it's so much easier to be able to, um, to be able to look at, at at Pennsylvania Ave and say that's the lack of leadership that's causing this, but I think that we, as a state and as a as a as a community, need to do better for these kids and these families for sure. Yeah, I think while that's true, um, and I, I absolutely don't disagree with that, and and the response at every level has been just not as as good as it could have been. You know, let let's be honest, we were not. In, we were not prepared. A lot of this could have been avoided. And again, you know, we're lucky to live where we live, but yeah. we don't all live here. Um, at the same time, I think parents of all sorts have really been left to pick up that burden because we're making it up as we go along, because people are having to balance, you know, working, sometimes working full time. If enough to homeschooling until recently and there is this push to be able to to, to try to do it all and yeah. it's just not feasible and so I don't know about you but my children have had way more screen time than I ever even thought was healthy or even possible yeah um you know and and it's not great but they're alive they're fine they're happy sometimes we play board games and you know i feel like we have some good family time but sometimes i have other things to do and i have to ignore them all day and you know they keep themselves busy by doing things that i would never in a million years have allowed four months ago five months ago um and i think we all have to really let ourselves off the hook because okay. nobody knows how to do this there is no manual for this and even though we've we've gotten a little bit more accustomed to things over the last few months, it's still about survival. It's just about survival and making it from day to day. And if your kids are fed, if your kids are, you know, relatively happy, emotionally unscathed, and you've gotten your work done, and, you know, your house is not covered in filth, um, even if it's messy, you're ahead of the game. And, you know, you're doing great. And 
anything beyond that, I feel like is gravy. Yeah, I agree. I can't, I, there's nothing I can add to that except to retweet the hell out of it because you're absolutely right. I, um, it was, it's, it's so much of parenting. We've said it before. So much of parenting really is all about us, right? It's like, how do I treat myself as gently as I can? Because I'm trying my hardest, even on my worst days, I'm trying my hardest. And I know that everyone in this listening audience, by virtue of the fact that they're listening to a podcast about parenting in a very unique situation, um, you're trying your hardest and it's, yeah. an, it's enough. It's enough. I tell everybody, I tell my kids, I tell my friends who are struggling, I tell everybody, you're doing the best you can do. And yeah. the best you can do is literally the best you can do. Yeah. You know, and it's the best you can do today. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Maybe it won't even be as good. But we we've gotta we've gotta let ourselves off the hook. It's it's gonna be okay. We're gonna make it through. And we the standards, you know, we're not gonna meet the same standards that we had for ourselves this time last year this time six months ago. And that's okay. It's not going to be like this forever. We're, we're going to make it through and it's going to get better. You're right. Mariana Latovich, I am Kyle Belanger. This is the All Our Kids podcast. Engage with us on the socials. Engage with us. Uh, obviously, we appreciate your subscribe and your review here uh, on the podcast. Um, we have a lot of conversations coming up, Mariana. Um, any, any, so excited. Would you like to um, maybe just fill people in if I gave you 30 seconds to plug some of the things that are, that are, that, that are coming down the pike uh, for the AOK community, what would you tell us? Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Put me on the spot. So I'm going to highlight two things. I think um, another, another very important topic that we alluded to at the vid because of the vigil yesterday, you know, raising our kids, talking to kids about racial justice, raising our kids in, in this day and age. Um, you know, you and I are both people who, for whom this issue is really, really important, even before the last few months. And so now it feels like we have this community momentum, but also some community clashes along the way. And, um, and we're doing it in isolation because of all of this pandemic. So I think that, um, you know, we're really going to need to delve into in, in coming up here. Um, and then the other is a really exciting announcement. Um, for the last couple of years, AOK has been fielding a lot of questions just about how does the system work? How does the child welfare system work? How does being a foster parent work? What, what can I expect? How does the court system work? And, you know, we answer a lot of the same questions over and over. And so we decided to um, get some funding and put together a very thorough, comprehensive guidebook to navigating the foster care system. And I am so excited that it's going to be available. It's going to be available in the next couple of months. Um, it's currently being designed. It's, uh, it's just about done. And I cannot wait to share it with folks. Um, so I know there's, I know that folks are going to be really interested in getting that information, getting their hands on it. And I think it's going to be a great benefit to the community. So we'll certainly announce it everywhere when it's available. But that's something I'm really looking forward to. Thank you, Mariana. For Mariana Latovich, I am Kyle Belanger. We'll talk to you next time.